Acts chapter 1. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 1? We're continuing in our study. This is our second sermon in the series of what uh, is normally called the Acts of the Apostles, but we know as, as we do a closer reading of the text, it's really the acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit to build the church. It's really the acts of Christ through the Holy Spirit to build the local church. And I've entitled this sermon, God's Resources for Gospel Progress, because this is exactly where the disciples and the apostles were. And we need this today, amen? Amen. We need this in order for the gospel, in order for the church to go forward, in order for Christ to be more glorified by more people so that they would call him as Savior. We need God's resources for gospel progress. God calls us to take the gospel to all the nations, but he also gives us the way we ought to do it. And don't we need him? I remember I had a... There's so many things that assail the church, that stop the progress. It's, sometimes it's powerless. Sometimes there's sin in the church. Sometimes leaders fall. I remember I had a mentor in, um, he was a missionary. He was a good friend of mine. And in fact, he taught me many things on how to reach folks and the passion that's required and the desire to glorify Christ and and a few years later after that, he fell from ministry. He disqualified himself by immorality. And sometimes you sit back and you think, why did this happen? I mean, how is the church going to go forward? I mean, if, if our leaders are falling, isn't it just a shame to Christ? Why don't we just quit? You know, sometimes we get that at that point. And it's still happening now. I mean, there's some things that are happening in local churches that are wicked, wicked things. How is the church going to go forward? No, we don't ignore those things. They are to be dealt with. They are to, they are to be disciplined in the church and things of that nature. But how are you, how are we going to continue on? How are we going to push the gospel forward? God has called us to go to all the nations. Well, in this text, if you would go with me to Acts chapter 1, we remember that it's couched right before verse 8. He says here, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. So as they saw Christ ascended up into heaven, we turn to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Brother Mike read the whole passage from verses 12 to 26. And I believe God is speaking to you this morning through this passage so that you would trust solely in him for progress in the gospel. You would trust solely in him for progress in the gospel. When we have discouragements, when we have betrayals, when you have, um, when you're weak and when you're tired, how are you going to keep going? God says he gives us resources and he only wants you to rely on those resources. So the first one, the first of the three resources that God has given us in this text, 
There are many, many more resources. He gives wisdom. He gives power. He gives strength. He gives discernment. He, gives, he allows us to, he gives opportunity. He opens doors. But there are three resources that are given in this text. Resources for God's people. Resources for the local church to press forward with the gospel. And don't you want people to come to Christ? That is our mission. If you are a Christian today, your heart beats for that. If you have met the Savior and you love Him, you know He loves you. You want that for someone else. It is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. You want this for someone else. So the first one, the first resources that God gives us is to number one in verses 12 to 14, wait for God's Spirit to work. Wait for God's Spirit to work. If you notice Verses 12 and 13, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. That's another way of saying about three-quarter mile, three-quarters mile. In verse 13, they entered the city. They went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, John, James, and Andrew. And if you count all of them, they're the 11 disciples. Judas is dead. Now, we, we see in Acts chapter 1 um, that Luke is writing to Theophilus and he's telling them, he's telling them exactly what happened. And then Jesus Christ tells them in verse 3, uh, he, in verse 2, he says, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So there's this commissioning of the apostles. And then he tells them in gathering together in verse 4, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. And he tells them this reason. You have to wait for what the Father had promised. And we know this to be the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, right? He says, you have heard of me for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying is there is going to be a new era. Before, he's saying, now when you are saved, the Holy Spirit will now baptize you and indwell in you. And you will have power to uh, do gospel ministry, to share the gospel, to preach, to share it, to uh, disciple, to build the local church. He's saying you cannot do this without the power given by God. He says here, you have heard of me. You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it not this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. And we know that great promise. Here it is, verse 8. This is why he told, they, they were waiting in verse 12. Verse 8 says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why do we need power? Notice what he says next. And you shall be my witnesses, both in, here it is, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. It was a command given to them. So waiting involves obedience to his revealed will. Waiting involves obedience to his revealed will if we expect god's blessing how are we on the other side to uh, commit disobedience rampantly without repentance god would have us first 
repent and obey him and expect God's blessing in this. And so he tells them to wait. And they say, okay, we'll wait. Verse 12. And this is exactly the same promise that Jesus gives them in John chapter 14. And I want to, I want to take you there so that you see the connection. Okay? This is a promise given in John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Are you guys feeling the AC? Is it getting hot? It's just me. It's just me. It's just me. Okay. John chapter 14. If we remember in verse 6, Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Look at verse 8. Philip says, show us the Father. It's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He's saying, you see me? You see the way I live? You've seen the Father. Everything about Christ, if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know what God is like, you study the life of Christ. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. But here's an interesting thing he says here. Look at verse 11. Believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. Look at this amazing verse 12. Greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. Now, you got to stop here, okay? And you gotta you gotta sit and and weigh out what God is saying. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this: that the local church, that the believers in Him, will, in some measure, do things greater than Jesus. Now you have to stop and and kind of think about that. He's saying believers will do greater works than Jesus Himself. And we ask, how is this even possible? Now, we know if in later on, these greater works are not, that, uh, not necessarily that I'm, gonna, I'm going to raise people from the dead. I'm not going to multiply bread. I'm not going to multiply fish. What does it mean that he's greater, that we, we will do greater works? What it means here, and we see later on in Acts, is that believers will have a much more broader reach than what Christ would do. That's amazing. Um, and the gospel will go, remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, from Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What is the greater works? That God's gospel, that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes even farther from where Christ himself declared it. That's amazing. We know that Jesus Christ's gospel is only uh, limited to the land of Palestine, up north to the south, right? But now he's saying, because I go to the Father, and that's another euphemism for the Holy Spirit coming upon you, because I go to the Father, now you can take this gospel farther than I've ever done. That's amazing to me. And that's exactly what the church of God is doing. That's exactly what believers are doing now. We are doing greater works now. I want to know how am I doing this? How are you going to do this? He says, ask whatever in my name that I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, he's saying that all prayer in this regard must be for the glory of the Father. 
This is not a name it and claim it. You don't name a Lamborghini and then you get a Lamborghini. This is naming it for the glory of God. And so as you ask, you, you align yourself with the will of God. God, I want to see you glorified. I want to see Christ glorified. I want to see people come to know him. I want to see lives change. I want to see you be their Lord. I want to see them bow the knee and drop the drugs and drop the alcohol and come to you, God. And, and, and when you pray like that, God is inclined to bless it. But how is he going to use you? If you go out there on your own strength, you're going to fall on your face. Have you ever tried sharing the gospel in your own strength? I have. I fell on my face. Depending on my own intelligence or my own argumentation, I fall on my face. But praise the Lord, he didn't have us do that. He doesn't have us do that. What does he say? He says, I will ask the Father, verse 16, this is wonderful. This is your promise, Christian, he says. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper. That word another is another of the same kind, just like me, right? I will give you another helper, and he will be with you forever. Okay, who is this helper? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold you or know you, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Here's the comfort of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as you are called as a disciple to reach folks for the gospel, because apart from him, they are going to hell. Please understand this. Right? There is a lot of churches preaching a lot of different gospels and they veer from the message of the gospel. They have, we call it the prosperity gospel or the journey gospel. Or they preach all kinds of things. They don't preach that Christ is, has come here for the chief reason of saving sinners from their sin to glorify the Father. That's what we've been brought to do. Now, how are you and how am I going to face the onslaught of the world, the media, the world, your own sin. How are we going to do this in the midst of all this? He promises his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And I know even as I look at the notes of my sermon, I know I'll never convince anyone to come to Christ. But I know when the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of them and they see the glory of Christ in the scriptures, you can't stop them. He did that with you. Didn't he? He went after you in your sin and he saved you. Didn't he? And so that's why we pray. Get him, Lord. Christ, get him. Get her. She's in her sin. She doesn't believe. He doesn't believe. Go after them. We have to wait for the Spirit in that regard. Now, if you want God's blessing on your gospel efforts, you have to take obedience to his commands. You cannot take obedience to his commands lightly. But also, waiting involves prayer for supernatural power. Verse 14. Look at verse 14. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. When we come together, brothers and sisters, I hope you know this, okay? I don't come and pray, God, I hope my outline is so polished 
and I hope that we're going to be so organized, and I hope there's no sound problems, although we, don't, we, we need to not have sound problems, right? Or all these things, I pray, God, would you show up? Would you glorify your son? Would you take the things of Christ and open eyes? Reestablish your throne on their hearts once again. Do it, God. And so waiting involves prayer for supernatural power. Notice in verse 14, he says, These with all one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. We know that's his step his half-brothers there. Jesus did have half-brothers. Yes, he did. Notice he says here, with one mind, that means one purpose, one impulse, one common consent. This is part of the reason why uh, the members are coming together tonight to pray. We want to pray that God would work. We want to pray that he would arrest hearts, that he would change lives. As you pray for the will of God as revealed in Scripture together, your hearts and your minds become in tuned to His revealed will and consequently to each other. When we are aligned with the Scriptures, we want God to be glorified. Our minds get in tune. That kind of happened uh, yesterday morning. I was with some of the men. And as we were going through some Scriptures and we just prayed together, God, glorify yourself in our in our lives. You know this sense, this reminder. This is where we ought to be. Aligned with his will in glorifying Christ. They continually devoted themselves. It says they adhered, they persisted in, they attached oneself to, faithful to. They weren't praying to be baptized by the Spirit. They were simply praying because Christ was no longer with them physically. They desired to commune with Him and the Father. They just wanted to be with God. Brothers and sisters, you know we hold theology in high regard. It ought to be. The study of the Scriptures, what God says about Himself. But that should be, uh, that should be an impetus a force to grab us to get on our knees and to ask for God to work like he says he does in scripture. He says he saves people. All I'm doing, God, is calling you to your promise. Do it. Save our kids. Save our mom, my mom. Save my dad. Save my neighbors. You said you could do it. You said you would do it. Do it. And then they waited for the Spirit. Now, the disciples, the 120 believers were all there waiting and praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit. After the 50 days, we know in Acts chapter 2, the baptism and the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. No, it is not true when people say, some Christians have the Spirit, some Christians do not. That is not true. That is a false doctrine. I can quote you Romans chapter 5. It says, all have the Spirit. All who claim the name of Christ, all who have been justified by faith, have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, we all share in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 says, one body, we sang it, one baptism, one Spirit. One Spirit. 
all who claim the name of Christ, who have been saved and regenerated, and who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, has the Spirit of God. We've all been baptized. And this is why in Acts, we have to read Acts carefully. Why? Now, this is kind of a side excursion, but it has to be done in order for us to understand the rest of the book of Acts, okay? How do we apply this? Now, we have to understand Acts in its proper interpretation. There's a couple issues here, okay? First, the book of Acts is a narrative book, okay? It's a narrative book. That means there is description of things. So if you would remember this phrase, it's very helpful for me. Description, not prescription, okay? Can you guys say that with me? Descriptions, not prescription, okay? Let's say that again. Description, not prescription, okay? So there are definitely things in Acts that we can pull that are eternal, timeless truths for believers now, but there are things that are written in narrative as a history that weren't meant to be repeated, okay? Just like Jesus walking on the water is not meant to be repeated. Do you understand? We don't take the text of Jesus walking on the water and now, now I'm going to walk in the water. Go ahead, try it. I want to watch you, right? It's not that you lack faith. It's simply that it wasn't meant to be repeated. It wasn't normative as a Christian. That's why I don't make an ark in, the back, in my backyard because the, book, the story of Noah and the ark was not meant to be repeated. It was simply description, what? Not prescription. Now, you have to be able to read scripture like that, okay? Now, it doesn't take away from the authority of the word. It simply just needs to be understood as historical account rather than a doctrinal treatise. The miracles of Christ were not meant to be repeated. Having said that, do I believe miracles happen? Of course. Jesus still does miracles. But is he walking on the earth and is he, is he having his shadow cross over sick people and they're getting healed? No, he's not. He's in heaven, right? Elijah and the fire against the worshipers of Baal were not meant to be repeated. I don't go to a fire pit on the beach and say, light it, God. Well, sometimes I pray for that because I, I didn't bring a log, right? But I don't say, light it, God, and show everyone, right? I don't do that. Why? Because it wasn't meant to be repeated. Acts is the same way. Much of what Acts narrates was not meant to be repeated. What is to be repeated that is present in Acts is that which is clearly prescribed in other parts of Scripture. Did you catch that? How do I know that this is something we ought to practice? Is it talked about clearly as a prescription in other parts of Scripture? Yes. Okay. Are we supposed to pray? Yeah. The Bible tells us to pray, right? In other places. Are we supposed to wait for the Spirit to work? Absolutely. Are we supposed to uh, preach the gospel? Yes. Because the Bible tells us. So what defines what we are to do? The Bible itself. So Acts is a narrative book. Acts is also a transition book. You have to understand that, okay? Acts is a transition book. What does that mean? That means it is in the very beginning of the church. 
There are timeless principles for us today, but there are aspects of it that are not and were not meant to be reproducible, such as the apostles, okay? And you will see here, as I show you in the text, the apostles were not meant to be reproduced. They're simply supposed to be the 12, and that's it, okay? Um, And we can talk of other things. Also, much of Acts is not normative. How do we know? You must ask, what do the scriptures prescribe, as we said before? Does, does God's word elsewhere tell us what is normative for the church? He does. This one principle is so misunderstood, such that many churches and organizations mislead the people of God. Rather than apostles, as in Acts, we are told to appoint elders and deacons. You see that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, right? No more added apostles after Matthias and Paul, added later. Rather than prophesying, we are told to proclaim the completed word of God, right? Rather than the Holy Spirit coming 50 days later, we are told that the Holy Spirit indwells in us immediately upon salvation. So we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We do believe the Holy Spirit is with us. Because it's taught elsewhere, Romans 5, as I said, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. We also believe that the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry. He illumines us for understanding in Scripture. He gives us spiritual gifts to edify the church. He grants success in evangelism as we seek to glorify Christ. He penetrates hearts as the word of God is proclaimed. He mediates, remember in Matthew 28, he mediates the very presence of Christ to every believer today. I know he's with me. Amen? Now, back to the question. How do we apply this? Though we do not have to wait for the Holy Spirit's presence anymore, nor the message as it is outlined clearly in Scripture, we can proclaim him whenever and wherever someone would listen. Okay? We don't have to wait anymore. We have the Spirit. But having said this, there is still an element of waiting for the Holy Spirit. We wait for God to give understanding of the gospel to people. Amen? You got to wait. You give them the gospel, but you have to wait for God to do it. You, have you ever tried arguing someone with the gospel and then you, you can't ever argue anyone into heaven? Have you noticed that? You ever tried? You can't argue them into heaven. You preach the gospel, you talk to them when they're ready, and you wait. I learned this very early when I first became a Christian. I thought everyone was going to get saved the first time I opened my mouth. Boy, was I taught, right? I was, I, that's wrong. You have to wait. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to burden those stuck in their sin to repent. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to bring a wayward Christian to his senses. You have to wait for the Holy Spirit to bring salvation to an unsaved loved one under the preaching of God's word. You got to wait. Wait for the Spirit. Amen? So here's, here's what we have. We have the gospel. You have your mouth. You have the Holy Spirit. Proclaim him wherever you can, but wait for the work of God on their hearts. Amen? Secondly, Secondly, trust in God's sovereignty through setbacks. Okay? Trust in God's sovereignty 
through setbacks. Verses 15 to 20, this is huge. As a Christian, this is what you have to know. Again, verses 15 to 20, that everything is in God's control. Everything is in God's control. The good and the bad. Yes, even the bad. And God allows the bad for His glory. And He remains good. But He controls all things. We notice in verse 15, there's a small beginning, but despite small beginnings, but you have to trust in God's sovereignty. That means His, his control, ultimate control over all things. Okay, Everything that happens. We know that God, either directly or indirectly, controls all things. You have to trust in that. But what about the bad things? You know, I, ha I have some friends who, I think they're wrong. They don't understand what the scriptures say about God. They think only the devil does only, he's the controller of all the th bad things that happen in my life, and God is... The only controller of only the good things. And they have this dualistic view of God. That God and the devil are fighting over you and fighting over your soul. That's not true. The Bible says he is in the heavens. And what? He does whatever he pleases. Nations cannot thwart him. He sits in the heavens and he scoffs. He controls all things. It says that Jesus, everything is made by him and for him. What about this tragedy? Look at verses 16 and 20. This is huge. Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled. This is Peter's encouragement. This is amazing. He said the scripture had to be fulfilled. What? What are you saying? The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the what? The mouth of David Concerning Judas. Notice he says this. Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David. Notice he's talking about inspiration of scripture. Whatever David wrote was what the Holy Spirit wanted him to write. That's a clear indication of, of the inspiration of scripture. But notice he says it had to be fulfilled concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. What? God, you allowed this to happen? Does God allow wickedness to happen for his glory? This, that's a huge question that has to be answered in Scripture. And I would say yes. He is not culpable of the wickedness. He is not culpable of the evil, evilness of, of man. He allows man to do exactly what he wants them to do. What man wants to do apart from God. And he still accomplishes his Will. Notice his decree. Look at this uh, in chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Folks struggle with this. A lot of folks struggle with this. But notice in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. The most wicked act that has ever occurred in the history of mankind, right? The most wicked act is right here. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs 
which God performed through him in the midst, just as you yourselves know. Look at verse 23. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. Notice 23. You have man's responsibility intersecting with the sovereign decree of God. He says, man is responsible, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men. You are responsible. But notice in verse 23, he says, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. The most wicked act that has ever occurred, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was predetermined. was done by the foreknowledge of God. His betrayal was predetermined. You see, brothers and sisters, there's going to be a lot of hiccups as you progress in the gospel, as you preach the gospel. There's going to be a lot of hiccups. You have to answer this question now. Even the things that occur, right? We know that we are to... There is God's moral will. We know that. His moral will is all that is outlined in Scripture and what we ought to do. Very clear what we ought to do. But there is His decree. His sovereign decree. And so, if this is not answered, you're going to buckle when bad things happen in the local church. Do you understand? You have to know that God is sovereign. And God controls it. And that Jesus is building his church. Despite men. Despite you and me. If I'm shelved, if you're shelved, put on a shelf and never used for the gospel anymore, his gospel will go forth. Christ is building his church. He will not be stopped. Despite the wickedness of man. Now. I even saw that in my life, that, that friend of mine who was removed from ministry, another one came in his place, and now he's thriving in the Lord, and people are coming to know Christ. But God is not, he is not scared of tragedy, and we ought not be as well in Christ. Judas, who became a guide to those arrested Jesus. Judas sinned against Christ with a kiss. His betrayal. How do, what did he do? We know in, from Matthew 26. I don't have time to go there. But in Matthew 26, when the perfume was poured on Jesus, that was it for Judas. Because Judas was following along. He wasn't a real believer in Christ. He was following along because he wanted the power and the money that Jesus would bring. It says in the text, if you want to follow in Matthew 26, that he, as soon as the perfume was poured over Jesus, he says, why is that all this money spent on him? We could give to the poor. It was all a, it was all a ruse. Because it says he was stealing out of the treasury box. And when he found out that Jesus wasn't about money, and Jesus wasn't about uh, popularity, and Jesus wasn't about political overturn, because the Romans were ruling over them, it wasn't about that when they found that out. When Judas found that out, he says, forget this. 
forget this Jesus. I'm going to sell him for 30 shekels. I'm done. He wanted money. He wanted power. He wanted a political overthrow. See, there are many folks like this. They come to Jesus for so many things, but not to him as Savior and Lord. This is what's Judas's heart. And I'm not too naive to think that this doesn't happen today. It still does. People come to Christ not because of that he's a Savior, not because they want him as Lord, but they, they want him to fix things for them. Christ didn't come to fix things. He came to fix your soul. He came to save you from your sin. And all those other things are byproducts. But the first thing is, do you receive him as Savior and Lord? Today, there's folks who promise money and fame. Christ never came to give that. Some promise healing. And when they're not healed, they abandon Christ. Some come for a sense of happiness but they don't want to deal with their sins. They don't want to run to Christ to forgive them. They just want to feel happy in the service when they sing nice songs and happy people. But they don't want to come and bow the knee before the Lord and Savior. Some come to Jesus because they feel empty. They may even feel depressed. They want a good feeling. They don't want, to, they don't want that feeling in them any, anymore. When they go to bed, they feel so lonely they just want that feeling to go away. And so they come to church and that feeling doesn't go away because they've never dealt with their sin problem. They've never repented. They've never believed. They never said, Jesus, you're worth it all. I just want to bow to you. They're trying to make deals with God. Remove this emptiness. That's all. Not repent. Some come to Jesus to fix their relationships. Their marriage is falling apart. So they go to church. And when the marriage still falls apart, they sell Jesus out because they were not, they didn't come to worship him. They just wanted Jesus to fix my marriage. But I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to bow to you. I don't want to do anything you want me to. They're just like Judas. Jesus came from eternity on high. He put on flesh to die for the sins of man. And if you but trust in his work and his person, you will be saved forever. And your sins will be forgiven. And you will never look back. But do not come to him, dear friend. Do not come to him making deals. Do not come to him negotiating. He will not take negotiations. He is either Lord and Savior or he's nothing to you. There was a great deception. Look at verse 17. It says here, for he was counted among us and received his share in the ministry. They couldn't believe Judas betrayed Jesus. They said he was counted among us. That's another way of saying he was one of us. I thought he was one of us. I thought he was a Christian. And in the back of his mind, he held a dark heart yearning for money and power 
And this still happens today. Oh, friend, if you don't know Christ, turn to him. Bow the knee. Stop playing around. He is Lord of the universe. And there were great consequences. This was prophesied. You can look at Psalm 55. You don't have to turn there. Verse 18 and 19 it says. Now this man acquired a field. He didn't really buy it with his own money. That's not what happened in Matthew 22, you see, you put the two parts together, Luke's account in Acts and Matthew 22. If you recall, he was so guilty. Can you feel guilty without turning to Christ? Yes, you can. You could still feel bad, but you still won't turn to Christ. There are many folks like this. They feel so bad, and that's why they run to the bars. They want to drink and forget it. They just don't want to feel it anymore, but they don't turn to Christ. And that is not salvation. Just because you feel guilty is not salvation. When you repent is when there's salvation. Now, Matthew 55, I mean, excuse me, Psalm 55, you don't turn there. But you could read that later on if you want to write it. That's where it is prophesied that there must be a Judas to betray him. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 1 says, he acquired this field. What he means by that is, if you recall, Judas threw the money down. He was so guilty. And they didn't want, they hypocritically didn't want the money because it was blood money. So for them, in their mind, to wash their hands of it, they bought a piece of land. And what he did is evidently, if you put the two accounts together of Matthew and Acts part of Luke, he hung himself over a cliff and the rope or a branch broke and he fell on a rock and his gut spilled out. That's what it says. Burst out in the middle and all the intestines gushed out. And that place is called the field of blood. And then he says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate and let no one dwell in it. Let another man take his office. Notice, let it be desolate. That is the field of blood. Let another man take his office. That is the promise of Matthias being picked and chosen to replace him. So it's the sad tragedy we know from verse 20. There is this great hole, great hole in the church. We thought he was one of us. We thought he was our leader. But God takes care of his church, amen? Christ is building his church. Don't ever forget that. Verses 21 and 26 recognize God's selection of leaders he has a qualification verses 21 and 22 this is the only people who could be apostles men who have accompanied accompanied us all the time that jesus went in and out among us so you had to be with jesus for three years physically so anyone who calls himself an apostle is not really an apostle because this is the definition of apostle you were with him for three years right in and out amongst us beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken from us, and you had to see Christ resurrected. So anyone who claims to be an apostle today is wrong. The definition of an apostle is someone who saw the risen Christ, someone who walked with him in his ministry, and someone who is selected by Christ himself. 
Now, there's the qualifications, but notice in verses 23 to 26, they put forth two people, Joseph and Matthias. They said, you know the hearts of all men. Show us which one of these two were chosen to occupy the ministry and apostleship. So they knew these men of character. They knew them that they were faithful and following. And in verse 26, they did a common practice that they used to do in Old Testament. They drew lots. But if you notice, right after this, they don't do it anymore. Why? Because the Holy Spirit comes now, gives them discernment, and allows them, as we have the scriptures, to now we judge men, leaders of the church, by their character. And, and First Timothy tells us, Titus tells us, how are we to choose those men? How are we to know? They, they couldn't know. They didn't have all of scripture. So they drew lots. But now that the Holy Spirit is with us, now that we have the full, complete scripture, how do we know? It's by their character. By their character. So recognize God's selection of leaders. What are the resources that we're given? Brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. I'm so encouraged of the women's ministry last, yes, last, yesterday. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Women were encouraged and there was new folks coming out and Christ was being glorified and everyone was happy in the Lord. Trust in his methods, brothers and sisters. Just keep going. Amen. Wait for his spirit. Right? Wait for his spirit. Trust in his sovereignty and recognize God's selection of leaders. This is what he does. He knows what he's doing. This is what Jesus does. And these are our resources for the local church. Amen? Keep going. Keep going. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside we can say that as Christians, you do not leave us alone. Thank you. Oh, help, uh, help the brothers, help the sisters, help them, young folk, to keep preaching, to keep sharing, to keep discipling in the power of Christ. Jesus, show yourself wonderful again. In Jesus' name, amen.